Well, folks, welcome to October. And people ask me all the time, Ron, do you think we're in the end times? Well, I can tell you, I can guarantee you that we are. The, an apocalyptic thing happened to me today, as I know it, marking the end times. I got out of my car, and this wet stuff was coming out of the <laughs> sky. This got to be the end. I've never seen this. Oh, I remember years ago, I remember seeing this, but anyway. Uh, many of you asked me about my wife, Anne. Um, she was doing grandmother stuff, playing with our grandson, William, a week ago Friday, and tripped, they're running around the house, tripped, fell on Sautillo tile, and the Sautillo tile is unforgiving. And she fractured her right wrist, right is very important, which means I'm her right hand man now. And uh, so we went to the emergency room, they x-rayed it, you've got a fracture, they gave us an orthopedist name. We went to him. We were underwhelmed. So I made a few phone calls. Y'all very helpful. Got with the right guy. And uh, he said, well, you need surgery. And so Tuesday, they put a plate in there to hold the fracture together. And uh, her pain level is diminishing. Uh, so she's getting off the high-powered ibuprofen and codeine and but she can't do anything <laughs> so <laughs> I can't leave her alone I mean I have to unscrew all the cat you know how it works and let me just be uh, sexist here because she's a woman she can't go anywhere because she can't put on makeup <laughs> and so that's that's why she's not here why she goes nowhere like us guys we don't care you know <laughs> Uh, and I always tease her, say, well, you're looking for a date or something? Just come on. People love you as you are. You're beautiful without makeup. But uh, so we go to the doctor a week from Tuesday, uh, the 10th. I, th I think she's got a big wrap around it and um, has to do all these finger exercises to push her fingers in so the ligaments stretch out and they don't atrophy and all that kind of stuff. So I have a hunch he's going to take that off and say, okay, now you're in rehab, get after it. And so keep her in your prayers. She's frustrated being at home, doesn't see any of her friends, and doesn't really do anything wrong. Come here and do this. <laughs> so I'm learning how to do things I've never done before. Costco has the greatest casseroles. They really, they really are. And then somebody's put us on a food chain so uh, thank you, those of you that are part of that. And so we're, we're well taken care of by this great congregation. So, And thank you for her love, all the emails and cards you've sent her. She really appreciates that. Now, Tom, I think we're supposed to have a missionary from um, Uganda they, show up. He will be here when he's here. Okay, and a new uh, guy in our class. I thought it was him. Oh, you must be the, from Uganda. Uh, <laughs> Good to have you here, Tom. Tell everybody hi. Um, got a good report from uh, Rob, um, Rob Shelton, yeah. and which we, if you were on Care and Concern, you saw it because it doesn't just come to me; it comes to Care and Concern. They uh, he had a checkup. Uh, he the doctor did not find any cancer. He has a 
ABCG treatment starting tomorrow, and it's pretty arduous. Um, and then every three months he gets a check, and this is going to go on therapy and check, therapy and check for another two years. So, but uh, our prayers are answered by the number one thing, which he, he is cancer-free right now. Uh, of course, the therapy is hard on him, and I think it saps his energy. But, uh, again, our prayers are answered. Um, my at-home people, um, Jim and Nancy uh, Johnson, I want to submit them and hold them up to you for prayer. Uh, Jim just had his 91st birthday, and Nancy's birthday is, I think, in January, February, when she'll be 91. And uh, they're receiving a lot of care, but they are at home. And uh, life isn't easy uh, for them right now. And so please keep them in your prayers. Um, Please keep Ann in your prayers. Keep Ron in your prayers. <laughs> He's going to get him a hat. We're going to get him a hat that says Uber. Uber. <laughs> and uh, uh, does anybody else have any cares or concerns or things that we can pray for today? Yes, Nancy. Just lift up the fact that home communion will be taken to some of our members of the church who cannot make it here to participate in Worldwide Communion Sunday. And so that all of that goes really well and meets their needs. Yes. Be, be with our, our nervous deacons yes. who, are, yes. who are worried about doing it exactly right uh, because um, it's, it is a little nerve-wracking. Uh, if you'll please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, on this World Communion Sunday, may we be aware of your, the sacrament and the meaning of the sacrament of your body and your blood shed for us. Be with our ones who are ill or who are recuperating, recuperating, be with Jim and Nancy, be with Ann, be with Rob and Kathleen, and anyone else whose names we have not spoken, so that they may be lifted up to you, that our temporary trials may be small, considering the great glory of our eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And some of you asked me what's happened to our, one of our teachers, Paul Kasher. He's kind of disappeared. Well, that's because Paul's a really good preacher. And he's in demand. He's preaching every Sunday, I think, through the end of the year, either at First Presbyterian Church in Yorktown or at uh, Community Pres in Port Aransas or at Zion Lutheran Church in Castroville, where I was two weeks ago. I'm rotating in there. That's a Lutheran church that left the mainline Lutheran church. They're in the Lutheran version of Eco. Uh, great little church. And uh, so Paul is on that circuit, and so is Chris and myself and Joe Moore. Um, so Chris has gone a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm turning it down a lot of these things so I can be here to keep this class going. So that's what Paul is up to. Um, this morning we're going to talk about our testimony. And uh, I think the best evangelistic or the best verses in Scripture on how to do evangelism uh, are in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 16. Listen to this. Peter writes, uh, In your hearts, honor, and the Greek word there actually is literally set apart. 
in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, I think Peter's saying here, if you set apart Christ as Lord of your life, I mean, really, you're trying to follow, that doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're, you've got a, a vibrant living relationship with Christ as you go through your normal day. Um, what's going to happen is you don't have to get on a street corner and, and tell people about Jesus or grab somebody on a plane. People are going to see a difference in you, and they're going to come up and ask you, for instance, I saw you get passed over on that promotion that you deserve in the office, but you didn't go crazy. You didn't, you didn't badmouth the boss. Why? When you and I allow Christ to live through us, we start looking different. And people, my wife is a perfect example. People come up to her all the time and say, what's with you? Something different about you. So you don't have to feel like, well, I'm intruding on them or kicking in their door to share the God. No, they've invited you in. They're asking you to give a defense for the hope that is within you. Now, the worst thing that can happen is for somebody to say that to you and me, and we just go, uh, uh, we don't know what to say. So chapter 8 of Chris's book on the crisis of discipleship is all about how we should be able to develop and uh, concisely give our testimony when need be. And notice Peter says, uh, give your defense with gentleness and respect, not ramming it down anybody's throat. And that's, what the, that's the most effective way to do evangelism. They'll come to you if you and I are really trying to follow Christ, setting him apart in our lives. Uh, testimonies are very important. Can anybody tell me, I think there's only one person that gives a testimony in the whole Bible. Uh, can anybody, does anybody know who that is? Paul. In Acts uh, 22, he gives a lengthy testimony how he comes to Christ on the road to Damascus. He does so in Galatians. We're going to see that in just a minute. Um, testimonies are important. When I left here in 1989 to be the senior pastor at Central Pres in Baltimore, I went there and started in April of 1989. The next month, we had a session retreat. This is the first time I've ever been a senior pastor. And we had 21 elders on the session. We went to this retreat center out in Western Maryland. And so I was kind of getting to know them. And they're getting to know me. I wanted to come across well. I carefully organized Friday night, Saturday, and all day Sunday um, with all kinds of small group activities and interacting, blah, 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 blah. Had it all laid out. I'm a type A person. And I decided, well, we had a famous uh, orthopedic surgeon on our session, the world's foremost orthopedic surgeon. He invented the knee and hip replacement. I've got two of them and one. And, um, and I'm grateful to him. And uh, Johns Hopkins, and he flies, he's dead now, he died about two years ago. Flew all over the world. Uh, the Saudi royal family would fly him over there to do all their hips and knees. Dave Hungerford is his name. And um, I decided I'm going to ask Dave to give his testimony uh, to start off the Friday night meeting of this session retreat. 
Dave had been an atheist up until about age 40. His marriage was falling apart. He wandered into Central Presbyterian Church, heard my predecessor preach, said, I am never, ever going to set foot in this church again. Uh, and then he went to a medical convention in Chicago. His whole world was crashing in, opened a drawer. There was a Gideon Bible, opened it up, began to read, dropped to his knees, gave his life to Christ, then realized that my predecessor, Murray Smoot, was preaching the real deal and went back to that church. And so Dave gave his testimony that night. It was so powerful that an elder raised his hand and said, that was really powerful, Ron. I just, could I give my testimony? I was like, this isn't, it's not in the script. Um, uh, I can't say no. He might not like me as a new pastor. I said, okay, but, you know, kind of make it brief. He gets up, gives his testimony. Another elder raises it. I'd like to give mine. We scrapped my agenda for the whole weekend. We listened to 22 testimonies that I gave mine. And that session came together. And I left that retreat knowing those guys. And, you know, Central was a regional church. We drew from all over the Baltimore area. So these guys didn't see each other except sometimes except at session meetings because we had two different services and they weren't all in the same service. So they didn't really know each other. After that weekend, they came together, all <clears throat> because of the power of testimony, telling your story, really telling God's story and how that intersects with your story. I'm going to give you my testimony. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents, they were the real deal. They walked the walk, talked the talk. And Jesus was a part of the wallpaper of my life from as far back as I can remember. We went to church every Sunday, went to Sunday school, and um, it was the real deal. And I grew up in the Presbyterian Church of the Atonement, which is an associate reformed Presbyterian church, and uh, really missions-oriented <clears throat> church. This is in uh, the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area. At that time, my school was segregated. Most churches were segregated. My church wasn't because it was a big missions church, and we had not African-Americans. We had a lot of Africans, Asians, and Hispanics because they had a reputation as a missions church, so they felt welcome there. So I grew up in a racially charged society that that was kind of the part of the secular wallpaper of my life, but I knew it was wrong. Because I, every Sunday I'd go and see this. Uh, and so I'm grateful that my pastor, he never preached on integration or social justice. He just preached the gospel. But I knew that that was at the, at the heart of the gospel was racial reconciliation. All nations, you know. And so um, then one day, I think, probably a number of days, my parents, Billy Graham came to Washington, D.C., 1960. And my parents told me and my sister, we're going to this Billy Graham crusade. Well, I would have rather gone and got a shot at the doctor's office than go to a Billy Graham crusade. But I had to go. And I sat there, and one night, I don't know if I remember, it was the first night or the last night, I just remember it was like Billy Graham was talking to me. And I was a real introverted kid. And when Billy Graham gave the invitation that night, I turned to my dad and I said, Dad, I, I got to go down there. And he said, okay, I'll go with you. And I did something very uncharacteristic. I said, no, 
I need to do this on my own. And I walked down there and a counselor met me, talked to me, went through the, the gospel presentation, made sure I understood what was going on, prayed the prayer to receive Christ. It was the real deal. It was the real deal. And from age 10 to 14, I really set apart Christ as the Lord of my life. And then four things came into my life that kind of rocked the boat a little bit. Uh, baseball, football, girls, and beer. And um, so from age 14 to 24, I went on a prodigal journey. Not as exciting as Paul Cashers. And in fact, I went to church every Sunday. Uh, and I never did not believe. I believe that's why I ran away from Christ. Because I knew the deal was he had to be Lord of my life. And, you know, I wanted to be, you know, God is my co-pilot type of thing. And, um, but I was afraid, you know, I'd signed to play baseball with Trinity University. and I was afraid that if I didn't go to church, my batting average might drop. I'm not kidding you. That's why I went to church. He's watching. And, um, and then at age 24, I was assistant coach at Trinity and dating a, a girl who was a member of this church. Uh, Christy Shaw and one night Christy said Ron if we're going to keep dating you're going to have to go to a Bible study with me I'm like but she was good looking <laughs> so I agreed to go didn't bring a Bible sat there like this and guess who the Bible study leader was this is 1974 Louis Zabinden I still remember the night. It was in the backyard of Seth and Virginia Temple's house in Almas Park. There was about 25 college students, young adults. And Lewis was taking us through Philippians. And that night he said, we're going to look at Philippians 4. And he said, now, before we get into this, I want you to remember, Paul is in prison. And he described in detail about how awful Roman prisons were, the rats running around, all that kind of stuff. And um, he's probably under a death sentence. Now we read the text, and it's where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I remember leaving that Bible study that night thinking, what would make a guy in a Roman prison under a death sentence talk about rejoicing? But then it was like, I know what it is. I went home to my apartment that night, Knelt, I hadn't knelt in years, beside my bed, rededicated my life to Christ. And the next morning, I remember it was like I traded in a black and white TV for a color set. I walked out. The trees were greener. The sky was bluer. That's because I finally got things lined up again. And I knew who the creator was, and my life was right on, back on the right track. So um, that's, that's my testimony. So Chris, uh, in chapter 8 of his book, chapter 8, sharing your testimony. And uh, let's see here. But a lot of people don't want to share their testimonies um, because they don't know what to share, they don't know how to share, or they're afraid to share. Um, and we'll deal with those issues in just a moment. And he says it's important to be able to share our story because people love stories. And a lot of times we think um, 
Sharing the gospel with someone is just giving them the gospel facts. Jesus was real. He's the God-man. He died on the cross. But what people really want to know is, yeah, but what is, how does that intersect with my life? How does that intersect with your life? What difference does Jesus Christ make in someone's life? That's where your story, your story is never as important as the story, but the story is magnified and brought home to people's hearts when it connects with your story. They want to know that not just you believe in Jesus, but they want to know, well, how does that affect your life? And Chris says the Bible and the gospel essentially come to us as a story, um, the story of God's work in the world. Our testimony is how we connect God's story to our story. If you grew up in the Presbyterian Church U.S., the Southern Church, what this church was a part of, you may remember the Covenant Life curriculum. This church taught it. And there was one part of that curriculum was called the One Story of the Bible. And that is uh, what most Christians don't understand. The scripture really is only one story that goes from Genesis to Revelation. It's about the fall of man, God's coming to rescue, putting things right in Jesus Christ, and then the consummation in the fulfilled kingdom. And so it's not really a lot of complicated stuff. There's one story. I remember my, my last, I've, I've said this a couple weeks ago, but I want to bring it up again. My last class in seminary was with Dr. Elizabeth Ochtemeyer, and she knew we were going out to pastor churches, and she said, you know, we've spent four years with you all dissecting the Bible. You know, I was a pre-veterinary major in college, so... I had to take all these mammalian physiology labs. You know, we'd, we'd operate on dogs and cats and turtles and everything else. And only once did we ever put them back together again. That was a final. I had to operate on a rat, remove his gallbladder or something, and he had to live. <laughs> and he, he did, and I passed. But usually we'd leave them, you know, dissected all over the place and then dumped into the trash. And Elizabeth said, that's basically what we're doing with you guys in this four years. We're taking scriptures apart. I'm going to put it back together for you in this last semester so you guys know that the Bible's all one story. And that was really helpful in going out to my first pastorate. <clears throat> so what is a testimony? Well, it's sharing what God has and is doing in our lives. And, you know, if you just have a uh, intellectual assent to the gospel, that's one thing. And you should. But that's, all, you know, James 2.19 says you believe God is one. That's kind of the Hebrew Apostles' Creed. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Great. Even the demons believe. Even the demons have an intellectual assent to the gospel. I said this a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Demons do not sit around and argue about, is Christ fully God and fully man? Uh, was he born of a virgin? I don't think so. Yes, he was. No, he wasn't. Did he bodily rise from the dead? They don't debate that. They know here. So what's the difference between a demon and you and me? The, de the, de the demon's story doesn't intersect with the gospel. They, they have not set apart Christ as a Lord in their lives. Um, Christ isn't doing anything in the demons' lives. A testimony is personal, it's memorable. Because it's personal, it's motivational, or should be. 
A testimony is a witness to Christ. The Greek word for witness is martyrion, from where we get our word martyr. It means literally witness. So to be a martyr for Christ originally didn't mean that you had to die. But martyrs of now, we, to be a martyr for Christ is to die. But originally it just meant to be a witness for Christ. But those that were witnessing for Christ in the early centuries, most of them, or many of them, wound up in the arena. But if 2023 is just a typical year, average year, more Christians around the world will be martyred for Christ than in the first four centuries of the Christian faith put together. So we tend to think of martyrdom as that was way back then. No. Um, there's a group called Voice of the Martyrs. I get their monthly, in fact, it came yesterday in the mail. And it tells you what's going on in the different country. Yesterday they were focusing on Nepal and how Christians are dying there. Of course, North Korea, China, Vietnam. And um, it's, it's growing. Martyrdom for Christ is growing. It costs to be a witness for Jesus. Now, here's the lawyer and Chris coming out. And those of you that don't know, Chris Scruggs is one of our teachers. He was a lawyer for, I think, about 12 years and went into the ministry and a great guy. So it says, like witnesses in a trial, we testify to what we personally know and have experienced. Just like each witness in a trial gives a unique testimony, each Christian testimony is different and unique. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't think their testimony is important because they don't have an uh, exotic story and you know, on the cliffhanger story to tell, like Paul. I like to say, you know, Paul and Timothy were good buddies. They traveled together. They planted churches together. But if you look at Timothy's life, if he gave his testimony, he'd say something like I did. I never knew a time when Jesus wasn't real to me. He grew up at the feet of his mother and his grandmother, and they discipled him. So he didn't have a dramatic Damascus Road experience like Paul. He just, but, there came a time at some time in his life where he said, yeah, I, I surrender my life to Christ. And that's probably a majority of Christians. Eighty-some percent of Christians become Christians by sitting in church pews, listening to faithful preaching. Well, that's not very exciting, is it? It can be sometimes. But um, we tend to think, well, nobody's going to care about my testimony because it's not a demand. But here's Paul, Damascus Road. He doesn't look at Timothy and go, oh, I'm not sure you really believe because you haven't really been brought to your knees. And Paul, Timothy didn't say to Paul, well, that was just an emotional experience you had, you know. And, you know, I've, they didn't criticize each other. Those are two different ways that people come to Christ and two different testimonies. Everybody's testimony is just as important as anybody else's. And when we're faithful, the Holy Spirit is what makes testimony really zing somebody's heart. People are looking for authenticity and integrity, not hoopla. But testimonies are hard. You know, they, they say that most Americans, their greatest fear is public speaking. Uh, and so we're uncomfortable a lot of times speaking to other people, especially about something so intimate and personal. But Chris goes on to say, our life is our testimony. 
you know, people are watching you. Um, I used to have a, a fish emblem on my car. And somebody said, oh, you're, you're witnessing. I said, I have to tell the truth. I put that on there so if somebody cuts me off, I wouldn't go into road rage. I know that. The, I remember one time pulling up behind a car. It said, honk if you love Jesus. And I went, and I got the, I thought, well, maybe it's his sister's car or something. Okay, we're going to stop right here because we are graced with uh, one of our missionaries from Uganda who's uh, going to be with us and share just a little bit, and then we'll jump back into this. So, Mike, you want to? Thank you for your time, man. Appreciate it. We've got other questions, so you can ask me as well. This plays right into what he just gave his testimony, uh, a type of testimony. And what really caught my attention was when he said, you know, I'm an engineer, so I thought, how can I do engineering for the kingdom? Back to Dave Hungerford, that elder orthopedic surgeon. Um, that is part of his testimony. He said, I'm an orthopedic surgeon in order to advance the kingdom of God. If you were getting your knee replaced by Dave Hungerford, he'd give you a brochure. And it tells about all he's going to do. Then on the back of it, it says, you need to know, I am a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I am going to be praying for you before, during, and after your surgery. If you want to talk with me about what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about, you have to bring it up. I'm not going to bring it up to you. And uh, I encourage you, if you're a businessman, a doctor, dentist, lawyer, think about uh, how can you do something like that with your man? You don't have to go to Uganda. Wherever you are right now is your mission field, where you spend the most of your time. Um, Dick Halverson, the late pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland, that's his benediction that I use. And I remember Dick saying, you ne a layperson never gets it. They never get it until they get this sentence. I am a fill-in-the-blank computer programmer, housewife, garbage collector, in order to be a minister for Jesus Christ. When you get that, everything else falls into place. So you don't have to go over there. Your mission field's right here. Think of creative, way, creative ways you might be able to, you know, get people to ask you, well, what does that mean in your life? Why is your life so different? Well, your life is a testimony. You're the only gospel some people ever read. And they're watching you. When I was a senior pastor here, I, did a, I used to do a weekly column newsletter. And one, some of you may remember, I did one on the little yellow stickers, you know, the parking stickers. Uh, that dawned on me when I was getting up on 281 right here, and a car cut in front of me and up the thing, and it had a yellow sticker on there. Uh, and I was just new, just coming back. I don't think I had one on my car yet, so they didn't know that was their pastor. But uh, that's why I put that fish thing on the back of my car, so I drive better. Uh, <laughs> but you can look for different ways. Uh, but people are watching you. And once they know you're a Christian, they start watching you even more. And they're chiefly looking for ways that you're going to mess up. So if you do mess up, fess up. If somebody says, uh-huh, okay, you say, yeah, that's part of being a Christian, you know. And I'm an abject sinner, and I've laid that out before God. 
your testimony in mine is more powerful when it's not perfect. You know, when, who was that guy? Gary, so he's running for president in 1988, and he had an affair. He's from Colorado. Yeah, you know, if he hadn't had that affair, he probably, good shot, he might have been president. But remember what he did? He got caught, and he denied it and covered up. Um, if he had just said, well, yep, I did, blah, 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 he could have probably gone on, because America's very forgiving, and so is God. So when you mess up, fess up, be real. Part of your testimony ought to be about what you're struggling with. Within bounds, you don't want to get too graphic, and Chris gets into that. Let's see what, um, but it's really living our story of faith. Now, here's Paul's testimony from Galatians, but you can, Galatians 1, 13 through 17, you can read that uh, on your own because we're running out of time here. Uh, he gave his testimony many times. He acknowledges who he was before he met Christ. I mean, he was a persecutor. He was a murderer. He describes what happened when he met Christ. He confesses the difference Christ met in his life. He tells of the community of faith to which he returned. And he's very honest about a good testimony focuses on God, not on us. What's God doing in and through you? Does not glorify any prior lifestyle. Is revealing but prudent. You know, you can get two. Yeah. Um, Paul Kasher gave his testimony to the men's dinner last month. He didn't get near as graphic as when he told me. And I was like, oh, shoot. I want to. But he lived a pretty wild Hell's Angels kind of lifestyle. But you don't have to get too graphic. Um, what is a good elevator testimony like? You and I ought to be able to, if somebody comes up and says, what's the hope that you have in your life? We ought to be able to do that in two minutes. You don't have to give this whole long thing. You know, if you got trapped on an elevator with somebody and they said, you're a Christian? Yeah, what does that mean? What's Christ doing in your life? Uh, short, two or three minutes, personal, focuses on God and what he did, shares the difference that God has made in your life. It's memorable, not memorized. People don't want a, you know, a cookie cutter, uh, scripted thing. Just tell them what, from your heart. Our testimony is more than one story. Every Christian has a continuing experience of God. Our testimony should always be growing because it never ends. Um, people need to hear, to hear that continuing experience. You know, when you're, when you're born again, your Christian life is just beginning, not an end. So a lot of people just talk about how they came to Christ. That's important. But what has happened since then? Again, um, people need to hear that continuing experience for their encouragement. And we must be discreet but willing to share for the good of others. Um, I remember one time uh, going to a, a conference and there was a theologian there, a guy I really expected. And I, I used to always think, I wish I could be like him. I have struggles in my life and I'm... He just is so solid in Christ. And I remember he was talking. He said, you know, I struggle with sin just like everybody else. And he said, in fact, on the way here, I was in the Denver airport, and I was reading the Presbyterian Book of Confessions. 
And I was there just getting into this, and all of a sudden, he, I remember he said, click, 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 click. There came the sound of high heels. And all of a sudden, I was transformed from looking at Christ to looking at some babe's legs. Well, you know, that was liberating to me. I thought, he's real. That theologian was Dale Bruner. We'd had him here before, and speaker at our, our church. And, but that helped me see, you know, that's a part of his testimony. He, he's a man. And, uh, you know, we're not perfect, but you need to be discreet how far you go with that. Um, let's see. Final word. The continuing story of what God is doing in our lives is part of the bigger story of what God is doing and about to do in every life we touch. Each day we're alive involves a new act of God in our lives that can benefit somebody. Um, let me close with, oh, let me, I forgot to say something. You know, we've talked in here before about what an Ebenezer is. Ebenezer, back in Old Testament times, if God showed up big time, did something in somebody's life, they would erect a pile of rocks to commemorate that. And they say back in Old Testament times, if you walked across the Judean hill uh, countryside, you'd see these Ebenezers all over the place. So you might be having a bad day, or God might not seem real to you that day, but boom, boom, boom. These Ebenezers were like, whoa, God must be real. Look at this. Well, that's your testimony. Um, when you give your testimony, I love to hear people's testimonies. Almost every time they'll say something, and it'll be a date and a time when my life was in the pit, and I felt like God doesn't care or God's not real. And it always reminds me, even in my worst days, God's doing something great in somebody else's life. And people need to hear that. Otherwise, we think, you know, you, you can get seduced by Satan to thinking that, you know, you're off of God's radar. So your testimony is an Ebenezer, uh, the only gospel some people might ever read. They may never go to a church. Keith Miller, some of you know who that is. He was the first director of Lady Lodge. Um, he had a house right next to Summer Place in Port Aransas, which was our Presbytery campground. And I did a ton of retreats down there. And I got to know Keith very well. I actually had him come up and speak sometimes to our senior highs when we do a retreat down there. And Keith is Becky Pritchard's grandfather. And Keith was always, he's dead now, and he went to his grave in agony. He was always on the edge faith-wise. And here's this great Christian theologian and leader, but he was always struggling with the faith. And I remember him telling a story one time. He said he had a Jewish friend, and the friend was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer, and he was in the last days of his life. And Keith would go there almost every day and just talk with him and everything. And he said, one day, he said, I, I was afraid to share my faith with him because the guy's on the ropes, and I just felt uncomfortable. So one day, like right at the end, his friend turns to him and says, Keith, you're a Christian, aren't you? He said, yeah. And he said, do I understand the Christian faith right, that you believe Jesus is the only way to salvation and a relationship with Christ is the most important thing in the world? And Keith said, yeah. And Keith 
You're one of my dearest friends, right? Yeah. Then why have you never shared what's most important in your life with me? Keith said, I never ever hesitated to share my faith with people after that. You never know who's listening, who needs to hear your testimony. And it doesn't have to be fancy schmancy. Uh, it just needs to be real. We've got maybe one minute. Anybody want to give their testimony? Anybody dying to do that? Just, uh, Tom, I'm sorry. I mistook you for that missionary. Welcome. Uh, he told me his name was Tom Duke. I said, oh, did that name the university after you? I said, yeah. Uh, raise your hand if you went to Trinity University here in San Antonio. Did you know that one time there were two Trinity universities in the United States? We're the oldest, 1869, but there was another one, I think it was 1890-something. Um, <clears throat> there was Trinity University. But a wealthy family went to this other university and said, look, we'll give you a kajillion dollars if you'll change the name of your school. Now, Ann and I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for a year. I was an intern in a church there. And Duke Power uh, is, is the power. But also, it's a big tobacco name. So the Duke family went to Trinity University in Durham, North Carolina, and said, change your name, put our family ahead of the Trinity, and we'll give you a bunch of money. And that good Methodist school, God or money, God or, oh, hey, it's Duke University. So there's only one Trinity University now. Yeah. Except it's no more Christian than these glasses. Sad to say it's sold its soul. Sad, sad, sad. But there are a lot of Christians on campus, and we've got folks ministering on Dave West's son, Holt, is a Reformed University Fellowship Director at Trinity. Football coach, the baseball coach, committed Christians. They have their own ministries going. Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we're supporting them. And InterVarsity, Young Life. So... There's things happening there. You can't keep God out. You can try, but you can't. Bill? I didn't quite get to give a grace during the prayer. JK's here in church for that. So I'm walking around with new boots. Great. He's got his ankle replacement. Yeah. It's great to see him walking around. It's great they can do that now. As a recipient of a knee replacement, two hips, I'm so grateful. I ain't doing no more. No, I don't have any. That's not my plan. Of course, none of this was ever my plan. But it paid my way through Trinity University. But I paid. Well, let's, let's close in a word of prayer and think about, yeah, I don't like, I'm not naturally wired to share my faith with people. So I may have said this in here before, but when I got in an airplane, I'd like to sit there and read my book or my magazine and, Usually it's a theology book, and I've sometimes somebody be sitting next to me, and they're, I can, and I'm like, and one time a guy goes, oh, "Are you a Christian or something?" I'm like, yeah, and uh, so I pray before I fly, Lord, if you want me to share my faith with somebody, um, I'm ready to give a defense for the hope that's within me. You make it happen. So that's the way I do evangelism, and you'd be surprised what can happen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are your living testimonies. Uh, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. Again, we lift up Steve Hoyt and his family to you. They're making real 
the love and compassion of Christ by doing construction work in the name of Christ all over the world. And uh, people were coming to Christ uh, through that. And we pray again that you bless their ministries. Lord, I pray that everybody in this room uh, would be able to get that phrase that Dick Halverson uh, used to say, I am a fill-in-the-blank primarily in order to be a minister of Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, uh, help us to set apart Christ as Lord of our lives, that we might really walk the walk, not just talk the talk, and then help us to be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within us as people ask us, what is it about your life that's different? And so, Lord, may we be able to speak with authenticity and integrity, love and compassion, merely sharing, uh, as D.T. Niles used to say, uh, one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.